If you've, uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah is just after Jonah, <laughs> and it's a few books, a few books before Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dad joke, okay, is a, I have to have one. Anyway, it's in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's a few books before, uh, before, before the New Testament gets started. We are doing uh, a little mini-series, and I'm just going to jump, uh, jump right in. It's going to be on the screen as well. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We are less than a month away from being commissioned by our parent church, Southlands, as our own autonomous church, uh, Mercy Commons. As we, uh, as we are approaching that uh, commissioning, this series in some ways starts to shed a little bit of light on kind of the, the, the thinking behind the name, and we're going to actually do a specific series uh, about, about, that, uh, about that in a couple of weeks. Um, two weeks ago, um, Nick kicked us off with talking about what is good and what does the Lord require of us. Last week, Travis, uh, Travis shared about joining Jesus as he is literally doing mercy and bringing restoration uh, next week, we, Neil is going to talk about um, is going to talk about walking humbly with uh, w- w- with your God. Um, but this week, it's kind of my profound honor um, to to share what I believe really is kind of the heart of this passage. And in many ways, is kind of the heart uh, of our faith. Uh, it has to do with uh, has to do with two small words. So it's uh, it's not a stretch to say that these two words are really very very central. Uh, to, uh, to, to our understanding of faith. And so here at Mercy Commons, soon to be Mercy Commons, one of the things that we'll, we do when, uh, when parents dedicate their, their kids is we give them the Jesus Storybook Bible. So if you don't know about the Jesus Storybook Bible, you need to know about the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is legit. Um, I, I, you know, at bedtime, reading, reading that thing to my kids, sometimes I'm like, just a second, uh, daddy needs a moment. Uh. It's, it's really good. It's theologically on point. It's so, it's so good. And, uh, and the opening to the Jesus Storybook Bible sets some context. It's like an introduction, an introduction to, to what you're about to read as you, move through, as you move through the Bible. And I'd like to read it to you uh, this morning. I think it has a lot of pertinence for our, for our discussion. Here it goes. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he's like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims, and God put it into words too. And he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now some people think that the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and you shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some really big mistakes and sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. And at times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a young prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one that he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales 
that has come true in real life. You see, the, big, the best thing about this story is that it is true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would meet with us, that you would help me to say what you have given me to say, and that you would help us hear clearly what is from you. You would open us to your word and to your spirit and to your love. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and do what only you can do is to shed your, the love of the Father abroad in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to look at, we're really going to look at three questions. Three questions are going to kind of take us all the way through uh, this morning. The first one is, what does it mean to love mercy? So if, if this is one of the things God requires of us, we should probably understand what it means to love mercy. Obviously, we can look at that in English and we kind of have an idea, but we're going to dig a little deeper in, into that. The second thing we're going to look at is, well, okay, so then how do we do it? Uh, if we're, to, if we're to love mercy, that's a requirement. How, how, how does that get done? And then the third thing that we're going to really briefly look at is, well, what happens when we do? What's the result of, of, of that when we become the kind of people that love, love mercy? So what does mercy, uh, what, what, what does it mean to love mercy? Part of how you have to study the Bible, part of how you have to study the Bible is look at the original languages. So there, there's a verse that's written, and if you want to study it, one of the, one of, a really helpful thing to do is to look at, at, at the original languages. How many of you know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic? The New Testament was written in, in ancient Greek? Nick? <laughs> not ancient, but no, 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 not ancient, not ancient. He was quick, he was quick on that. Did you hear that? So, no, no, not ancient. Um, <clears throat> I'm not far behind you. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of really passionate and really smart people who are working very, very hard all the time to translate the Bible from those original languages into a lot of different languages around the world, including, including the English language. What you read in, in English is true, it's reliable, you can trust it fully and thoroughly. But there's a reason those people have to work so hard. <laughs> um, language can really be limiting in many ways. Um, I don't know how many of you have a parent or family um, who, who their, their first language is, is a different language than, than, than English. Um, my my mother-in-law, Arliette, she's awesome. Um, she's always wanting to like share something with me in Spanish. Uh, <laughs> that's her heart language, that's her first language. And she'll say this phrase and then she'll go, Tino, Tino, como se dice? <laughs> like how, 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 do you, how, do you, how do you say this? Like, so she just, she wants me to understand what it is that she's just said. Um, and, and, and then they go on this kind of uh, tour to try to figure out the right way to actually say it so that, so that I can understand it. Um, and and, and, and that's, that's a, it's really indicative of language. That, that's kind of how, how language works. So if we're going to really understand, for instance, what mercy, uh, what loving mercy looks like, we, we've got we've to take a look at a couple of the words that are at the heart of that. It's like, it's like going from high-definition television to like 4K ridiculous, you know, 
television, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't have one of those, but I've stood in like the Best Buy and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was a color. Like, there's like, there's a depth to it. You know, just like, whoa. It's kind of the same thing. When you, when you, when you get into some of the original words and the meaning and the context, it, it really starts to give you some depth. It doesn't necessarily fundamentally change, but it just adds wonderful texture and you feel like you're speaking the language, so, so to speak. So the first word that we're going to look at, the first word that we're going to look at is love. We are to love mercy, love mercy. This word in Hebrew is ahava, ahava. Now something to be aware of right off the bat with Hebrew is how concrete of a language it is. So when we approach, when we approach it, we tend to think, by the way, us as Westerners, we tend to think in like abstract ideas and thoughts um, that uh, there's strengths to both thinking in concrete reality and, and abstraction. So I'm not saying one's better than the other. But it's important to understand kind of a Hebrew mindset because the guy that's writing this is Hebrew. <laughs> and he's writing in Hebrew. So it's helpful, it's helpful to understand what the difference is in, in Hebrew. I've used this example before, but I'll do it again. I know all about surfing. I don't, by the way. But I know all about surfing. Just come along with me. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. <laughs> I know all about surfing. I have a degree in surf science and technology. I've read hundreds of books on it. I'm an expert on the topic. Oh, and I live in Iowa, and I've never actually surfed. The Hebrew mindset, the Hebrew mindset would say something like, I know all about surfing because I've tasted salt water. I know what the board wax smells like. I know what it's like to sit on my board in, in the middle of the Pacific at 6 a.m., and to, and to pick a good swell that's coming, at, com, coming online and, and paddle into it. That's a little bit of the difference. Can, can you see the, the textural difference? It, there's still wonderful opportunities for degrees, and, and, and that's, by the way, that's a real degree. Um, I looked that up. Uh, <laughs> surf science and technology. It's in Corn, Cornwall uh, College in, in England. Uh, so, Ollie, where are you at? <laughs> um, anyway. There is, there is, there's a fundamental, there's a fundamental difference. The root of ahava means to give. The root of the Hebrew word means to give. Why is this concrete and abstract thing important, by the way? Is because today love in our culture is an idea or a feeling. It's something that we can fall in and out of. It comes with the blowing of the tides or it's something that we want to consume. Like, I love cinnamon rolls, which I do, by the way. <laughs> right? For us, the word love, the word love can carry a lot of connotations. So understanding the, Greek, the, the, the Hebrew word that's actually used here, there's a concrete reality, and the root of it is actually to give. It's not getting. How about that for a word for our culture, that love is not about getting. It's not about holding on or you fulfilling me. It's about me giving. The heart of that word is, is, is to give. This word is really a deep emotion that also is active and action-oriented. It's affectionate care from one person to another. It is an emotion. It is a deep feeling, but it's not just left at a feeling. It carries with it a connotation of action and activity, of proactively caring for, for, for others. This kind of love, it happens in all sorts of relationships, right? Uh, all, all, sorts, all sorts of relationships, brotherly affection, uh, marriages, between parents, all, all sorts of different ways this, 
this actually happens. I, I personally have experienced it most profoundly in marriage, but also in having kids. Um, there's just something about that. I, I was always afraid that I would not know how to love my kids. Right. I, really, I really was. It was like terrified. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I'm actually going to feel attached to them the way that I hope that I feel attached to them. And, you know, I don't know. It, it was... Now, looking back, and I'm like, that was delusional. I would jump in front of any bus. Line the buses up. I'll jump in front of them for my kids. <laughs> <clears throat> I love this picture, this picture of me and, me and Jack from a handful of years ago. And I, I, I love it because of the joy and the delight that I see in my son's face. First. Mm. But for the last 25 years of actively following Jesus, God has consistently tried to get me to understand that this is how he sees me. That's why I love this picture. It has lots of layers of meaning for me. And listen, I'm not special. It's the same for you. God says to his people in Isaiah 43, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Do you hear that, church? It's not some abstraction for some general group of people. It is for you. So let's look at the second word. That's love. Let's look at the second word. second word is really important, too. The second word is mercy. Now, the Hebrew word used here is chesed. Good Middle Eastern. <laughs> I won't say that the whole time. <laughs> Don't worry. But when we look at Hesed, when we look at Hesed, um, it, occurs, it occurs 246 times in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. It's one of the central terms that you're going to find in, in the Old Testament. It is beautiful and it's complex. Uh, it's hard to translate into a single English word. It's really hard to do that. So, what you'll find as you're reading through the, through the Old Testament in English, you'll see words come up that, the word there is actually hesed, but you'll see things like mercy, steadfast love, covenant love, kindness, loving kindness, love, loyalty, favor, and devotion, just to name a few of them. It's a complex, really important idea. So you might be thinking, okay, I get it. There's a lot of layers, but are you going to tell us what the heck it is? I found one theologian that put it this way, which I like quite a bit. Hesed is the devoted love promised within a covenant. Hesed is love that is willing to commit itself to another by making its promise a matter of solemn record. It is not merely love, but loyal love. Not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. Not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. It's a setting of the will to love the other person. It's not something you fall in and out of. So you, this week, uh, there was an old kind of acquaintance of mine on Facebook that, uh, that posted a congratulation message to her, uh, to her mom and dad for celebrating 50 years of, of, uh, of being married. And she, she, she pulled this quote. It was literally put in quotes. I have no idea where the quote came from, but I loved it, and it reminded me exactly of this, of this word. She said, a wedding anniversary is the celebration of love, trust, partnership, tolerance, and tenacity. The order varies in any given year. 
<laughs> True that. It's, it reminds me of, of, of Hesed because there is a strength. There is a real strength in Hesed. It's not sentimentality. There is a setting of the will. There's a setting of the will. Because the reality is people break covenants all the time. People's wills fall short all the time. But God is not like man. He demonstrates his love towards us, his hesed, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was setting his will, his will and his affection, and his commitment, that he would fulfill what we could not. We had broken the covenant, and he upheld it. This pattern, by the way, of breaking covenant and then running away and hiding from God and, and, and falling short of, uh, falling short of our, our wills running out of steam is all through the Bible. It's all through it. From the beginning, character after character, story after story, we see God's people rebel and drift away from him. He pursues, he redeems, and he restores time and time and time again. He also allows his people, by the way, he does allow his people to experience the consequences of living in contradiction to his will. That is loving too. But the psalmist says, his hesed, his love, endures forever. His hesed endures forever. It does not run out. It goes way beyond what it should. I mean, if we were just looking at God from an earthly perspective and God was a friend of, like, like an actual personal friend of yours behaving the way that he does, you'd be like, dude, I, I think you need to reconsider some of your choices. <laughs> I mean, how many times do we fail and betray and move away and yet he sets his will towards us in Christ? His love, his hesed goes way beyond what it should. You should have stopped way back here. He had every right to stop way back here. He pushes way past that. Way past that. God can do this because it's not just something he does. It's who he is. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, by the way, this, what I'm about to read, it's not going to be on the screen, happens just two chapters after the children of Israel who have been miraculously delivered from Egypt go out into the desert, and then they start worshiping a calf that they made. This is only two chapters after that. This is within a breath of that happening. God self-discloses. He gives Moses a description of himself. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, chesed. And faithfulness, keeping chesed for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God is grace and truth. He does not clear the guilty, but will you look at how many numbers there are? <laughs> to the third and the fourth generation, he'll, he'll hold this, but to thousands thousands of gen he, he covers. It's amazing. He goes way past what he should. It's critical to notice that both love, ahava, and mercy, chesed, 
originate in God himself. He is not affectionate and faithful, loving and merciful towards us because we deserve it. It's not your Instagram profile. It's not how good you look. It's not how smart you are. It's not how many degrees you have. It's not how moral you think you are. He has set his will to love you. God tells Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. <laughs> but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. It's because he says he loves you that he's done this. You were the least of all peoples. There is no, um, there is no uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James of morality. Jesus is the only one. Israel was loved because he loved them first. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Listen. In this is love. Not that we loved God. None of us did. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If I find in myself a desire to pray, I love you, God. It's really more like, I love you back. I love you too. God always moves towards us first. God is the one who moves towards us. Except for Jesus. Jesus was the only human being that moved towards his father. But the rest of us, the scripture says, all we are like sheep, we've gone astray. Each one of us to our own way. If you're here today and you don't know the love of God, this incredible faithfulness and mercy that's filled with active affection for you. He is moving toward you right now. And he has a word for you. I love you. I always have, and I won't stop loving you. Come to me. I won't put you to shame. So we discover we discover to love mercy is to come to love how God is. He has shown you, a man, what is required. We come to love who he is. That's, that's, in a sense, the essence of loving mercy. We love his faithfulness. There's this welling up of an affectionate response back to his unbelievable kindness. Jesus talks about this. This has very practical implications, which we're going to shift and talk, talk to you next. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. You are loved, and now you get to live in response. This is what it looks like to live in response. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and his response captures this point exactly. Luke chapter, chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
you might be wondering, okay, well, how do we, how do, we do that? So that's the second thing, right? So what, what does it actually mean? How do we do that? The first thing is that we seek to love him first. John 14, 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Okay, so Jesus said, I had a mentor of mine who would just drill this, he would just drill this into me. He said it all, said it all the time. Basically, it's like, why do we always jump to the second part of that verse and not actually pay attention to what he says? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. But we just jump to, what do I got to do? I'm gonna, okay, which, where's, the, where's the hoop? Where's the hoop? Okay, okay, can I, can I show you? Can I show you? Can I show you? If you seek to love me, it is coming to him. The natural change happens as we come to him and we find ourselves and it's very important that we live his commandments. But we cannot do it on our own. That's why he came. We come to him. If you love me, seek to love me and you will find that the commandments come much easier. I saw this really clearly with my own kids this summer. Um, we went, on a, we went on a family vacation kind of at the, at the, at the beginning of the summer and um, it was just, it was great. Like we, we, got, we got away and, you know, just coming through a pretty busy season and we're all, everyone's busy, right? So just being able to like be intentional, leave my phone, like focused and just hanging with the kids and with Val. And uh, man, our kids came back as different little human beings. <laughs> in, in many ways, like, they were playing with each other in ways that they weren't fighting. They were way more compliant. We're like, man, we've got to go on vacation a lot more often. <laughs> Why? Because their tanks were full. The tanks were full. They had spent the kind of time with us that they needed. They got something that, re that, required, that they required in a way that surpassed, in a sense, what, 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 what they needed. And it made them way more loving <laughs> little people. It just did. We were literally shocked. That's over now, but. <laughs> uh, listen, Jesus is calling us to himself. He wants the time. We need it. Whether you know it or not, you need it. You need it. Another way that mercy Another way that we come to love mercy is that we study the gospel. We become students of watching God love us. Psalm 111 verses 1 through 2. But by the way, Psalm 111 is awesome. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Psalm 111 verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Part of the way that we come to learn to love mercy, to love the way God is, is to study what he's done. To actually really look at it. That's the way life works. You, 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 you don't learn anything without actually applying yourself to understand it, to put some effort into it. One of the things I love that Dallas Willard says is that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning there is an effort. Anything in life works that way. You want to do anything in life, it does require effort. And God meets you in it, like setting time aside. Now, I'm not talking about just morning devotion so you can check a box and get a spiritual merit badge. 
Hey, I got through the Bible all in a year. That's great. If you do that, that's great. But I'm talking about the motivation of your heart is to come to him, to come to him and to be with him. One of the ways that we do do that is become is students of the word. We, we spend time with him in the word and through the word and sometimes become an actual student, like dig a little deeper. It'd be amazing what you'll discover. Your mind will just go, wow, I, didn't, I never saw that. I never saw that. I didn't know these things were connected. Oh my gosh, you love me. You're good. I see what you're doing. It's, it's crazy what happens when you actually look at the Bible. <laughs> it's amazing. But to get to know, uh, to get to know love and to, and to put it into practice, it, it, it's not just about reading it in a book. Even if that book is the Bible, we need one another. There's another way that, uh, of how we do this, how we do this is that we come to church. And I'm not saying that like a good old timey, I'm saying like we, there's a grace. There's something spectacular that happens that God has chosen to set his grace on the local church. I don't care what church it is. If it's preaching the gospel and loves Jesus and he's at the center of it, there is a grace on that congregation. And it shapes us. And we need it. Just like the surfer, you can't just read about it in a book. You can't just get it in a podcast. You have to get on the board. You gotta paddle out. You've gotta catch what it feels like to be in community. The push and the pull, the good and the bad, all of it. It will shape you and it's necessary. We cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's important. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of friends. I've seen a lot of friends, people that I love. One way or another have distanced themselves from a local church. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've seen it take a toll on their lives. Their faith, their character, their fruitfulness, I've seen it. They always have, to, they always have what seems to be good reasons and, and sometimes, they, sometimes there are. I, I, you know, there are real things that happen and there's real reasons that you should move on from places. So I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the, the regular run of the, run of the mill coming into a community. Guess what? There's people here. <laughs> We're going to fail each other. We're going to hurt each other. But that's when Hesed kicks in. That's when love gets to work. That's when we get to be faithful to one another. That's when we get to say hard things and say, I still love you and I'm committed to you and I'm here. I ain't going anywhere. That's, that's, that's the church. That's the church. When a community embodies that, it becomes a safe place. I remember being in a, uh, being in a support group, a uh, men's group that, uh, that, that was meeting and uh, there was a couple of older guys that were in, that were in this group. And um, guys that had been through some pretty serious stuff, been through life and come out on the other side full of grace and a lot of wisdom. And uh, I remember a young guy coming in one night and uh, he wouldn't look anybody in the eye. His, his shoulders were kind of slumped over. You could kind of just see that there was a lot going on, a lot of shame on him. And it came time to kind of share and, and, he, and he opened up. He started, this, this young guy started to talk a little bit. He started to admit some pretty embarrassing things, some things that weren't good, that were hard, that were difficult, that were sinful. And he still wasn't looking up. And I remember one of these old guys. I, I think I've shared this with a couple of you. This old guy walks over, 
puts his, puts his arm affectionately on, the, on that young guy, kind of looks down, catches his eyes, and he goes, is that all you got? <laughs> is that it? <laughs> man, whew. the joy of Jesus, what that young man experienced in the context of a community was what the Bible says, when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We do not worship a God who is weak in the face of sin and failure. We worship a God who has conquered it. What have we to fear? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the truth of our gospel. Ultimately, though, if we're going to meet this requirement that Micah is putting out there for us, the, the news gets even better, actually. Habakkuk chapter 2, another great, <laughs> great name for an Old, Old Testament prophet. One of the ones that kind of gets lost, uh, lost in the mix. But Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 tells us, The righteous shall live by his faithfulness. That's the actual translation from the Hebrew. So here's something that's amazing for, for myself just in the last couple of weeks. That going back to that idea of studying. And, and, and God showing you things that reinforce, oh. Wow. The word, the word his, the just, the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. In the Hebrew, it's left purposefully unclear whether it's talking about the person that's living by faith or it's the faithfulness of God. And the reason, when you look at the context, it's both. A better way to translate that in English is the righteous shall live by faith in his faithfulness we get to lean hard and heavy into what he does for us. And that's where my faith kicks in. It is a ruthless trust, a response to his chesed, his mercy, his kindness, his love, his affection. It's echoed all through Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, that idea. It's central to our belief. Tim Keller Got a Tim Keller quote in there. Um, he puts it this way. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that saves you. Let me say that again. It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of the little faith you have that you place in the object of your faith that saves you. So, coming to, coming to Jesus, spending time in his word, Coming to community. These are, not rocket, these are not rocket science kinds of things, but they are absolutely salt of the earth, critical, important. This is how you grow. You plant, a, you plant something in the ground, you give it some water, give it some sun, and guess what it grows? We feed our kids, they grow. It's amazing. They're not trying, they're not stressing about it. They grow. Spend time with Christ. Read his word, commit to the body, love one another, you will grow. He will bring the increase. That's what he does. That's what he does. So what happens? What happens then? The third, third and kind of final point. What happens? What happens when we do this? We want to change. We want to change. Desire is a great motivator. I no longer run around saying, I should do this 
I should do this, I should do that. One of my favorite authors talks about, talks about a, friend of, a friend of his that, uh, that, that, that uh, has a big banner in her office that says, today I will not should on myself. <laughs> should, I should, I should, I should, I should, I should, I really should. It's a, great, it's a great line, right? <laughs> like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great line. Motivate, when, when we experience the love and the kindness of God, it's not an I should, it's I want. I want. I, I want to love my neighbors. I want to reach out to, to, to that Muslim that's across the street. I want to foster a, 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 a child that doesn't have a place to go. I want to wash the dishes for my wife. Can I get an amen, ladies? Maybe for my, maybe for, maybe for my wife, right? Listen, it, the scripture tells us it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And by the way, repentance is not a one-time thing. We continue to come back. We continue to turn. We continue to open ourselves, to allow our minds to be changed. Continually, over and over and over again. In, in the Greek, repentance is the turning of the mind. It's, 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 the, it's the 180 which is absolutely true. In the Hebrew, it also carries the connotation of being returned home, coming back, returning to him. It's the goodness of God that continues to bring us back when we wander. <laughs> he brings us back, sets, sets, sets our hearts and our minds right. The last thing that it does is it propels mission. So when we become the kind of people that are staring at, at, at the love of mercy and become the kind of people that love mercy, not only does it create in us a desire to change, we want to change, we, we end up changing, we end up growing, but it, it, it propels the idea of mission. Like we, we get to do this now. Um, the, 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 it's not just kind of this um, that you're loved in some abstract theological way because God has to love you. Because <laughs> he's God, he has to love you. He actually really loves you. He likes you. He likes you. Now, when I say that, some of you are kind of like, I don't know. This is the truth. He has set his affection. He has set his affection and his attention for you. And it's a crazy thing. When Joey and I were talking about this this last week, when you're with someone and you know that they like you, you really know they like you, what happens to you? You relax. You feel great. You settle into what Sean talked about earlier, that God-given gift of who you are. Not what the world says, not what the culture says, not what you say, but who God has made you to be in Christ Jesus. You settle in. And there's a warmth that comes over you. And just like my kids on vacation, it is way more easy to love one another. It just starts to come out we realize, I get to do this. Because here's the deal. The gospel becomes good news. That's really good news. And that's a good news that we want to share. Not here's a bunch of the rules. Remember, the Bible is not a book of rules. There are some rules in it. It's a story. Band, you guys can join me back up here. So um, it's, uh, it's no secret that, uh, that I love Psalm, Psalm 23. I talk about it probably a lot. 
I get made fun of for that. That's okay. I'm, a, I'm fine. <laughs> I love Psalm 23. It's written by David, the shepherd boy turned king. He's a man that uh, is well acquainted with sin. Really well acquainted with sin. He had sinned in pretty spectacular fashion. Right? He didn't just, uh, he didn't just, uh, he just didn't, he didn't go small. He went big. Um, he understood, he understood through some of his psalms that, um, that he was but dust. He understood his place before God. That, that he was born in iniquity from his mother's womb. And, you know, what, what are we that, that God is mindful of us? Um, he understood, he understood his place and his position before God, but he also understood, also understood that he was tenderly and completely loved somehow. What a, what a gift in the Old Testament that a, that, a, that a man would experience, the kind of grace that we see reflected uh, in, 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 the, in the New Testament in a way that produced real intimacy for him. You know, I like to think sometimes it was just as probably lonely out in the middle of the field as a teenage kid with, the, with, his, uh, with his instrument watching sheep and meeting with God alone. Time. Time with him. I'm sure that some of that was key and formational in, 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 in who he came to be. In Psalm 23, David speaks very intimately of God as his shepherd. Shepherding was something he knew quite a bit about. He knew what it was like to be alone in the wilderness in the middle of the night, guarding the sheep pen. When wolves and lions were on the prowl and seeking to devour the sheep that he was responsible for guarding. The fear that comes with that. There's things out there that literally want to eat what's here and I'm the only thing standing in between it. And I got a stick. <laughs> he was acquainted with that. But in the middle of Psalm 23, in the middle of Psalm 23, he says, he, says, he says this, Surely goodness and mercy, hesed, will follow me all the days of my life. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes for me? Allow your heart and your own mind to become still. And hear, hear this psalm. I'm going to read Psalm 23 over us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and man, my cup, it overflows. Surely, goodness and chesed shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
my whole life long. Church, the wolves will not the wolves were not the things that he saw pursuing him. The fears of this life, they are not going to nip at your heels. What is hunting you down will not devour you. What is hunting you down will lift you up. Do you know that mercy and goodness are coming after you? They are the things in pursuit of you. When the other shoe drops, it will be his faithfulness. Even in difficulty, even in trial, our hope is secure. It is fixed. It is, it is sound. It is eternal. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And let us, church, share this wonderful truth with anyone who will listen. Amen.